Thank you, choir. That was a beautiful, beautiful song. I've never heard that one before. That was new to me. I really enjoyed it. Um, thank you for joining us here today. Uh, we're going to have a, a message here called Not at Home for Christmas. And I got the idea of this when I was just reading some things here a while back. Um, back in 1943, a lot of our young men and women were not at home for Christmas. They were off fighting a war in Europe. In 1943, Decca Records Studio, recording studio in Los Angeles, released a song that went on to become one of the uh, cherished Christmas songs that has stood the test of time. That song, of course, sung by Bing Crosby, was I'll Be Home for Christmas. And it struck a chord and still does strike a chord with so many of us because Christmas and home just seem to go together. I mean, when you think about Christmas, you think about a lot of things, but one of the things that many people think of is home. Uh, I mentioned earlier we spent the uh, uh, night before last strolling uh, the uh, square with our grandchildren, and that was a special time. And just this morning I got a a photo of them standing in front of their Christmas tree all ready for, for Christmas to start. You know, of course, at kids, we like to jump ahead and we want to open gifts early. How many of you were Christmas Eve openers? Raise your hand. Get those hands up high. Don't be ashamed. All right. And how many of you wait till the last minute Christmas morning openers? All right. See, some of us just can't wait. And uh, some of us will do like, uh, okay, you can have one to open on Christmas Eve just to kind of buy them off, so to speak. But however you do it and whenever you do it, uh, Christmas and family just seem to go together. Uh, It's home. And uh, as I thought about it recently, it occurred to me that the original Christmas, the one that started it all, wasn't like that. Mary and Joseph were not at home for Christmas. They were a long ways from home, paying taxes to a foreign empire. That doesn't sound like Christmas to me. That doesn't sound like the fun and the joy and the warmth that we think of when we think of Christmas. There were many miles between them and home. uh, And Jesus certainly was not at home. He left his home in heaven to come be with us here on earth. He went from the splendors of heaven to the unpleasant smells of a barn. If you grew up on a farm, you know what those wonderful smells are like. That's Christmas. That's the original, the OG. Very much not like our Christmases today. Yet, his not being home for Christmas is what makes Christmas so special to you and me. And I wanted to start our service this morning. How many of you... Have a loved one who, like in 1943, won't be home for Christmas because they're serving our country somewhere. And they're on foreign soil and they're not going to be home for Christmas. You know someone like that? Let's join together and pray for those who are not going to be at home for Christmas. And let's also pray for those who are missing them. And we want to add to those prayers. I had a friend just recently lost his wife. And this will be 
the first Christmas for him without her. So while we think of the joy that Christmas brings, let's pause for a moment and just pray for those whose hearts are hurting. And maybe that's you. Father, we ask your blessings on this Christmas Eve on our men and women that are not gathered at home with their families, but off on other soil serving our country, and they'll miss being home. They won't be home for Christmas except perhaps in their dreams. We ask that you bless them and watch over them and keep them safely and bring them home soon. We pray for the families of those that are missing them, that you encourage and build them up, knowing that their loved ones are doing a noble thing. And Father, for those this time of year that are hurting because someone is missing and will not be coming home at all, we pray that you bless them. I pray for my friend who recently lost his wife, that you be with him today and tomorrow in this season in what will be no doubt very difficult times. And Lord, I just ask that you be with us here this morning as we are gathered together with our church family at home, that we will hear afresh and anew the story of our Savior's birth and may it encourage us to follow him. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Luke's Gospel, chapter 2, was read to us earlier. I won't read it again. You know the story well. In fact, I can't hear it without hearing Linus in my ear saying... That's what Christmas is all about, Charlie Brown. And that's true. In the first five verses of Luke chapter 2, we see about Christmas, we see the historical authenticity of Christmas. You know, oftentimes we get caught up in all the hoopla and the this and that of Christmas. But folks, this is an event that actually took place. This is history. Uh, Luke writes his gospel with that in mind. In fact, he says in the first chapter, he said uh, that he spoke with eyewitnesses of his majesty and that uh, he grounds his truths with people, places, and events that the people at that time that he wrote could have gone to and checked on and checked the veracity of what he was saying. He, t- he wrote this to a man named Theophilus. In the days of Herod, he said... He talked about Zechariah. He mentioned the places of Nazareth and Bethlehem, Caesar Augustus, Quirinius, the town of Bethlehem, and the lineage of David, which would have been a matter of record. And the espousal of Joseph and Mary. Again, public knowledge. These things would be matters of record, not of speculation, nor matter of opinion. Anyone could have gone to these places and these people and said, Is this so? Did this happen at this time? Yes, it did. The historicity of Jesus is the question of whether or not Jesus of Nazareth uh, actually existed or was purely a mythological figure. That has been put to rest for centuries. There is so much evidence of Christ's existence. The New Testament manuscripts that tell us of Christ are so overwhelming in their, their number and the, 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 the quality of them that they, all other books and writings of antiquity pale in comparison. Julius Caesar wrote uh, between 140 and 44 B.C. Uh, and the earliest copies we have of Julius Caesar's writings 
were uh, date about a thousand years after he wrote. And we have a total of ten. We have seven of Plato's copies, thousand and twelve hundred years after the fact. We have six hundred and forty three of Homer's Iliad discovered or uh, the earliest copies that we have five hundred years after he wrote. Ladies and gentlemen, we have nearly six thousand New Testament manuscripts dating to some within twenty five to fifty years after the original writing. Fifty eight hundred manuscripts about one man. And someone would dare to ask, did Jesus really exist? You know, I, I could come back with something smart, Alec, but I won't. Folks, the historicity, the authenticity of Christmas is well, well documented. There was a man named Joseph. He had a bride named Mary. They had a baby. I should say she had a baby. But he raised Jesus. Not only in Luke's gospel do we see this historic authenticity, but we see a humble attitude. Look at verse 6 if you have your Bibles. So it was that while they were there, the days were accomplished that she should be delivered. And she brought forth her firstborn son and wrapped him in swaddling clothes and laid him in a manger. For there was no room for them in the inn. This is the story of the birth of a great king. He doesn't arrive with great publicity. He doesn't, uh, wasn't born among great people. He doesn't arrive in a great palace. In fact, there's no room for him the day he's born. He's born in a stable where animals are kept. God chose to make his entrance into this world, and he created the, the, the world that he created as a child, born to poor parents on a forced journey to pay taxes to an empire into which they were subjugated. That's not how I would write the story. I mean, this is the savior of all mankind. This is the greatest of all. You know, Muhammad Ali would like to let everybody know he's the greatest and he would announce his coming. Those that are great announce who they are and let you know Jesus showed up quietly. I'll bet you Caesar Augustus, no, I won't even bet you. I just know Augustus had no idea what happened that night. Sitting in his royal throne or Lying in his palace, in his royal bed, the king of all kings came into this world. God's trying to tell us a thing or two about what really matters. What matters isn't the splendor and the grandeur and the riches and the power. What matters is the humility and the grace and the love and the joy and the peace that Christ brings. Paul wrote and said he made himself of no reputation and took upon him the form of a servant and was made in the likeness of men and being found in fashion as a man, he humbled himself and became obedient unto death, even the death of the cross. Paul said in 2 Corinthians, for our sakes, he became poor that we might be made rich. We see in the next few verses the heavenly anthem of Christmas. There were in the same country shepherds abiding in the field, keeping watch over their flock by night. 
And the angel of the Lord came upon them. And the glory of the Lord shone round about them, and they were sore afraid. And the angel said unto them, Fear not, for behold, I bring you glad tidings of great joy, which shall be to all people. For unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior, which is Christ the Lord. And this shall be a sign unto you. You shall find the babe wrapped in swaddling clothes, lying in a manger. And suddenly there was with the angel a multitude of the heavenly host, praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest. And on earth peace, goodwill toward men. This is what we would call the heavenly anthem of Christmas. An angel appears to shepherds in a field watching over their flock. We see here the elements of heaven and earth come together. These angels, or excuse me, these shepherds are just normal, average, everyday working people. They're out in the field watching sheep. There was nothing particularly special about them. And yet at that moment, heaven interrupted earth. An angel came. And his sight was so fearful, they, they quaked. And he said to them, don't be afraid. I've got good news. And then a multitude of the heavenly host appeared with them. Now, the heavenly host is an army of angels. Now, if they were afraid when the first one showed up, I'll bet you they were a little concerned when a whole army appeared. You know, one angel in the Old Testament destroyed 186,000 Syrians in one night. That's one angel. Here's a host of them. I don't know about you, I might be a little timid. This heavenly host appears and... Most of our hymnals include uh, uh, the doxology, one of the great hymns of the faith. And that song includes the line, Praise Him above ye heavenly hosts. Psalm 24, verse 14, The Lord Jehovah is called the Lord of hosts. In Psalm 148, verses 1 and 2, it says, Praise ye the Lord, praise ye the Lord from the heavens, praise Him in the heights, praise Him all His angels, Praise ye Him, His hosts. Heaven is surrounded with the praises of Almighty God. The heavenly hosts sing His praises constantly, over and over and over. And here, those angels came to earth. Now, I know I don't want to ruin your Christmas, but it doesn't say they sang a word. It says they said these words. Now, I'm, doesn't say they didn't sing. <laughs> but whether they sang or whether they just made this statement, they said, glory to God in the highest. Folks, that is where peace on earth starts. And until there is glory to God in the highest, there will not be peace on earth. Until there's glory to God in your heart, There will not be peace in your heart. The two go together. Unfortunately, you're going to see and probably have seen and heard for the last couple of weeks the phrase, peace on earth. You know, we've even reduced it now to just, you'll get a Christmas card and it just says, peace. And I'm not saying that's a bad thing or a wrong thing. I'm just saying the whole phrase is, glory to God in the highest. 
and on earth peace, goodwill toward men. Do you have peace in your heart today? Be honest with yourself. Is there peace in your heart? If the answer is no, maybe you need to consider the glory of God. You see, the Bible says, For all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. And folks, that's what Christmas is all about. Jesus brought heaven to earth. Jesus did God's will on earth. Jesus gave glory to God in the highest, and you and I can have peace in our hearts through Him. Heaven and earth proclaim. Verses 15, 16, and 18, we see the heralding announcement of Christmas. It says in verse 15, It came to pass as the angels were gone away from them into heaven. The shepherds said one to another, Let us now go into Bethlehem and see this thing which the Lord hath made known unto us. This is what we call revelation. God revealed to these shepherds something otherwise they would never have known that a Savior was born. You know, when they got there and saw Him, unlike the, the pictures that, are de- that depict or the, or, or the paintings, He wasn't glowing with an aura around Him. His face wasn't shining like you see in the paintings. You know what he looked like? He looked like a baby. I remember one time going to, early in my ministry, and a young lady in our church had a baby. And I went to the hospital, and then they brought the baby in. I'm there with mom and dad. When they brought the baby in, I just got to be honest, that was one of the ugliest babies I had ever seen (laughs) in my life. And you stumble for words. And I think I said something like, wow, that's a baby. <laughs> you know, Jesus did it. I don't even know if he was a pretty baby. He might not have been. He said, all babies are pretty. I, I know, I know, I get it. And shame on me. And I don't want to get ugly emails for saying things like this. Just address them all through Alan at msbchurch.com. <laughs> and I'll make sure and answer every one. Um, Jesus didn't glow like a little cherub. He was a baby, just like we were when we were babies. You say, why? Because he's one of us. And these angels came and announced, and they told the shepherds, uh, said, a Savior is born. They went to Bethlehem to see what the Lord had made known to them. And look at verse 17, when they had seen it, they made known abroad the saying which was told them concerning this child. So these shepherds to whom God made known, uh, the uh, I've got to get my, my clock out here because this one's covered with garland. <laughs> we don't want that. All right. Um, The Lord made known to them who this child was. And then what did they do? They made it known. This is what we call the heralding announcement. A herald is an official news bearer, one who's sent from a king to tell people the news. Ladies and gentlemen, as followers of Jesus Christ, you and I are heralds. Paul calls us ambassadors. 
for Jesus Christ. The Lord had made known unto them, and then they made known what he had shown them. Are we heralding the gospel today? You know, I've heard people say, we need to pray and ask God to bring people to our church. God never one time in the scriptures tells us to pray for people to come to our church. Not one time. He does tell us to go, the church, to the world. He tells us to be on mission. To be out there among them. And to share the gospel of Jesus with those who either have never heard or yet they have not believed. We see not only the holy uh, or the uh, heralding announcement, but we see a holy accordance of Christmas. You say, what is that all about? Well, there were two people in a temple. Well, let's go to verse 19. Uh, actually, verse 21. When eight days were accomplished for the circumcising of the child, his name was called Jesus, which was so named of the angels before he was conceived in the womb. And when the days of her purification according to the law of Moses were accomplished, they brought him to Jerusalem to present him to the Lord, as it is written in the law of the Lord. Three times in here, in verse 22, verse 23, and verse 24, it says that Joseph and Mary brought Jesus to the temple to do what was written according to the law of Moses, according to the word of the Lord. Jesus, even as a baby, was keeping the law. You see, Jesus said one time, he said, I did not come to destroy the law, but to fulfill the law. Why is that? Because God's law was given to show us that we fall short. Jesus never fell short. And he was brought to Jerusalem to the temple to be circumcised and to be presented to the Lord according to the law as it is written in the law of the Lord. Uh, a, a sacrifice was to be made. And Joseph and Mary, verse 24, offered a pair of turtle doves and two small pigeons. This was the offering of a poor person. You see, if you could not afford... The lamb, you were allowed under the law to offer a pair of turtle doves or two small pigeons. That's what Mary and Joseph offered. What does that tell us? That tells us, again, the humility of Christmas. That when God came into this world as a child, he chose parents that didn't have much. Christ didn't come to destroy the law. He came to fulfill it. And then we see in verse 25 the hopeful arrival of Christmas. Two people are mentioned in verses 25 through 38. Anna and Simeon. And in verse number 25, uh, it tells us that Simeon was, quote, waiting for the consolation of Israel. This is a prophetic expectation on the kingdom of heaven. This is what Advent is about. It's about all that time, those years, from Genesis 3 all the way to the birth of Christ, that the world was waiting and the people of Israel were waiting for a deliverer, a redeemer, a Messiah. Others had come before and claimed, but they were not him. And when Jesus was born and they brought him to Jerusalem, Simeon, uh, who was waiting for the consul of it, 
uh, consolation of Israel, the Holy Ghost was upon him, and he took up Jesus in his arms and blessed God and said, Lord, now let your servant depart in peace according to your word, for mine eyes have seen thy salvation. That's a very important statement there. He said, mine eyes have seen your salvation. What were his eyes looking at? Jesus. Jesus is salvation. Folks, you're not saved by sitting in this church building this morning. You're not saved by becoming a member of any particular church. Salvation isn't found in praying a certain set of prayers or in doing certain good deeds or in keeping the law. Salvation is found in a person. And that person is this baby, Jesus Christ. He's a light to lighten the Gentiles and the glory of his people Israel. He came to be a savior. I want us to notice in verse 39 the homeward anticipation or the homeward journey of Christmas. Verse 39 says, And when they had performed all things according to the law of the Lord, they returned into Galilee to their own city, Nazareth. After all was said and done, they went home. After Christmas. Now, Luke didn't know about the trip into Egypt. Matthew tells us about that. They took a trip into Egypt and they were there for some time and then they returned and went back to Nazareth. Luke apparently wasn't aware of that and put it in his writing. Matthew does. But they returned to Nazareth and that's where Jesus grew up. In verse 40 it says, The child grew and waxed strong in spirit, filled with wisdom and the grace of God was upon him. And every year, Joseph and Mary would travel to Jerusalem for the Passover. One year when Jesus was 12, they headed back home to Nazareth, but Jesus stayed in Jerusalem. They were unaware of that, didn't realize it until that evening, and the next day they returned looking for Jesus and found him in the temple, sitting in the midst of the doctors, both hearing and them and asking them questions. The Bible says all that heard him were astonished at his understanding and his answers. When they saw him, they were amazed, and his mother said to him, Son, why have you dealt this way with us? Behold, your father and I have sought you, sorrowing. And he said unto them, How is it that you sought me? Wist ye not that I must be about my father's business? These are the first recorded words of Jesus. Of course, the night he was born, he didn't say any words. You know how that goes. You, you walk at one and you talk at two. And then you just don't stop talking. He didn't say any th- words that night. But here he is at 12. And these are the first recorded words of Jesus. He said, didn't you know that I must be about my father's business? And he did go about his father's business. Not the carpentry business of Joseph, but the business of his father's kingdom. He went about Galilee, Samaria, and Judea, 
doing good and healing all that were oppressed. He went about preaching the kingdom of God, his father, until one day they took him and killed him and nailed him to a cross. And having done his father's business, he spoke his last words from that cross saying, Father, into thy hands I commend my spirit. It is finished. He finished the work. And the veil of the temple was written too from top to bottom. And after his resurrection, Jesus spent 40 days with his disciples, teaching them about his Father's kingdom. And then he went home. His whole time here on earth, he was not at home. He came here for you. And he came here for me. Let us not forget what Christmas is all about. It is about a Savior who came to this world for you and for me. An old missionary couple had been working in Africa for years and they were returning to New York City to retire. They had no pension. Their health was broken and they were defeated, discouraged, and afraid. They discovered that they were booked on the same ship as President Teddy Roosevelt, who was returning from one of his big game hunting expeditions. No one paid much attention to them. They watched the fanfare that accompanied the president's entourage, the passengers trying to catch a glimpse of the great man. As the ship moved across the ocean, the old missionary said to his wife, something's wrong. Why should we give our lives in faithful service to God in Africa all these years and have no one care a thing about us? And here this man comes back from a hunting trip and everybody makes much over him. Nobody gives two hoots about us. His wife said, dear, you shouldn't feel that way. He said, well, I can't help it. It just doesn't seem right. When the ship docked in New York, the band, there was a band awaiting to greet the president and many other dignitaries were there. The papers were full of the president's arrival. No one, though, noticed the missionary couple as they slipped off the ship and found a cheap flat on the east side, hoping the next day to see what they could do to make a living in the city. That night, the man's spirit broke. He said to his wife, I can't take this. God is not treating us fairly. His wife replied, Dear, you're looking at this all wrong. We're not home yet. You see, here on earth, you and I, we're not home yet. I'm going to go tomorrow, Lord willing, with my wife, spend time with our family. There's a day coming when... Family's not going to be there. Mom will be gone. Dad. Brother, sister. Christmas on earth changes from year to year. But the whole reason for the original Christmas was to bring you and me home to our Heavenly Father. Where are you going to be this Christmas? Where are you going to be next Christmas? 23 years now, my, my dad's not been at home for Christmas. 
two years now, my, my brother's not been home for Christmas. Oh, but there's a day coming when we'll be gathered around the throne of God and we'll have Christmas. Because that's what Christmas is all about. It's not about the gifts. It's not about the trees. It's not about the lights. It's not even about home. Those are beautiful things, and I love them. I love everything about Christmas. But Jesus came to take us home with him. Will you be there? Today on Christmas Eve, we celebrate the birth of our Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ. But he could not be our Savior simply by being born. He was born to taste death for every man, Hebrews says. Jesus died for our sins, was buried, and rose from the dead to save us. Ninety-nine days from today, we will celebrate the resurrection of our Lord Jesus Christ. We call that Easter Sunday, Resurrection Day. Sunday, March 31st, 99 days from today. Let's go tell it to Georgetown. I want to encourage you, in fact, I want to invite you to begin today to pray. Jesus talked about 99 in the fold and one that was lost. I want you to take the next 99 days to find that one. I want you to pray for that one. I want you to invite that one. I want you to invest in that one. Will you do that? Because, see, without Easter, Christmas is just another holiday. I love it, but it's Easter and the resurrection that gives us eternal life. And if we love the Christ of Christmas, let's go proclaim what we have heard. That Jesus Christ is Lord. That he died for our sins. That he rose from the dead. That he saves us from our sins. Will you commit yourself this Christmas Eve to finding one lost sheep over the next 99 days? To pray for that person. To invest in that person. To invite that person to come to Christ. Join me in prayer. Father, as we prayed earlier for those who are not home for Christmas, we pray right now for those who have no heavenly home. And God, I pray and I ask that you help us to commit ourselves to be your heralds, your witnesses, to share with the world the good news that a Savior was born in Bethlehem, lived a sinless life, and died a sacrificial death for us all. And Lord, help us to commit ourselves to making Christ known to Georgetown and beyond. And Lord, I will commit myself, and I pray with others here that are committing themselves today to seek those that are lost with the gospel of Jesus Christ. And we pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. I'm going to ask our deacons to come.